Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to tonight's edition of Students for Better Future Radio. I'm your host, Doreen Finkel, with Ruben Torres. Hi, Ruben. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about everyone? How about yourself, all? I know. Um, we have a, a great night coming up. Two great guests will be joining us. Um, and we're going to be talking about the presidential field again with John Scott. Um, and then we're also going to be doing some local New Jersey politics, right? with um, the Honorable Chauncey Brown, Brown. The, the sir, right? Did I get it right? Right. Yes. I, I joke um, around with him. He's the, he's the brother from another mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we have, a great, we have a great night lined up for you. Um, and uh, before we had... Uh, came on the air, Ruben and I were talking, and I want to mention to everybody that um, Students for a Better Future Radio will be hosted by the main site, which is studentsforbetterfuture.com now. Um, it, it will, uh, you will find us there, and it's such an easy link, you know, it, to remember. You don't have to put blogtalkradio.com students for better future anymore. It, you, you will just find us you type studentsforabetterfuture.com, and the radio will come up. Um, and we made a lot of changes to our site, and we're very enthusiastic because guess what? Um, and Ruben and I are going to tell you this. We're going to be running essay contests for students. Wow. And Yes. And we have the approval to do that. Um, and... One essay contest, a student's going to have to write a thousand words, uh, and it's going to be about human trafficking. And uh, the winner of this essay contest is going to get a partial um, payment towards their uh, towards their spring or fall semester. Yes. And also, um, we are working with some people in New Jersey, uh, in particular because um, we have uh, a, big, a high uh, uh, human trafficking problem over here, and that's the New Jersey Family Policy Council, and and I'm a member of that, Ruben, and I'm on a panel with that. So, um, and it's a tough thing to fight. And Ruben, I know you were involved in that, and you know you might want to tell why. It's such a tough thing to fight. Well, it's it's definitely uh, very challenging because there's so many different layers that you're dealing with. I mean, you have the international aspect of it. 
you have the 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 narco the narco drug cartels that are involved in the trafficking of of, of human beings, and um, and then you also have governments that encourage indirectly human trafficking, or they don't do anything to to stop it. So um, yes, it's, it's no, definitely they a very... look the other way, and and. Um, I'm, I've put this theory forth, especially dealing with a case in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of money to be made in that. Yes. And so these the human trafficking groups may be lobbyists of some sort, um, you know, and that's why it's very difficult to get something done. And plus, Ruben, we haven't talked about the deviant behavior that comes of it, like the pedophiles. Right. Um, and I want to bring this up. This weekend, are you familiar with the Shattuck case? I have not heard of it. Okay. Well, this woman, um, she was a, um, uh, she's a 48-year-old woman who uh, was a Baltimore Ravens cheerleader. And um, she was charged this week, her name is Molly Shattuck, uh, she, for, um, for having a relationship and molesting a 15-year-old boy. And the relationship has gone on for months. Right. And... Um, and the boy was 15. He he was her student. He attended the McDonald's school in Owings Mills with Shattuck's son. Shattuck had a son in there. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And the relationship between the two of them went on, went on for several months. And the judge in this case uh, had sentenced her to 15 years in prison as a female pedophile. Wow. Yes. So females can be pedophiles too. Oh yeah. Oh definitely. That, uh, I've heard. Well, I was I was uh, I was watching uh, last night on CNBC, which I hardly ever watch, but they had uh, sex slaves in America, um, human trafficking in America, and um, it was basically everyone assumes that human trafficking is just international, but it's also Domestically, here in the U.S., uh, yeah, we have, we have we have individuals that act as pimps, trafficking, and working with the international cartels that are the biggest proponents of human trafficking. Yes, and um, people don't realize the connection between the internet um, porn and the human trafficking, and yet. It's, it's very simple. Um, let, let's say, uh, I'm going to do a little role, role reversal. Let's say I'm a 17-year-old boy, okay? Now I'll make a 15-year-old boy, okay? Um, and you do have a female pedophile, okay? Um, they may meet online. They may meet through Facebook, okay? And in fact, the, the other person who's a pedophile may not, um, may have a fake Facebook account, okay? And, you know, young kids, they don't know if the account's fake or real, 
you know. And um, they will befriend this person, um, and, and they may even make their picture look like another 15-year-old boy just to deceive them. Um, you know, any way they can, they win the trust of their victim, no matter who, who if the pimp is a man or a woman or if the victim is a female or a young male. And then once they win the trust of the victim, um, they might even say, oh, let's go. Well, Facebook has video chat, okay? Um, you can do video chat right through there. You can see one another's pictures. Um, then they might do uh, sex Facebooking, meaning, you know, send their private stuff through there. But then the pimp would say to his victim or her victim, okay, oh, well, you know, let's go and make a thousand bucks for the night. And the victim thinks, well, you know, I mean, I wanted that new cell phone, you know, or I wanted this and that or to pay my gas or mileage. So, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to go ahead and make that thousand bucks tonight. And what they'll do is if they're not using chat services on Facebook, they may even use Backpage or Craigslist. And um, if it's local, they will rent a hotel room Mm -hmm. because it's because it's only local, and then all you need is to to set up a a um, like an internet thing. Is you need your computer, your your something to take a picture, like your cell phone, right. and and a room like the hotel room. And um, in fact, they can even do that stuff through Facebook chat now. You can say to your customer, "I want, uh, for example, a hundred bucks for fifteen minutes." Okay, and then you go on there, and and then bingo. Okay, he he, he finds a, a willing customer with the person there, and then they then they make a hundred bucks a night. That's how easy it is. Oh yeah. And 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 they, and they they prey they prey on these uh, young ladies and young men also that come from dysfunctional homes that are looking for love. And the pimp is the first that actually can. These people are these pimps are trained to spot individuals, women and, and, and boys, uh, girls or, or boys that have that potential to be taken emotionally. Yes, they sense the weaknesses Correct. of the individual, and they play upon that, and. It's never been as bad as it is since today because we, we yeah. have the Internet. You know, Internet has good and it has bad. And this has been plaguing our society since the Internet has come out. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole other host of issues. And um, so actually... We at studentsforbetterfuture.com are putting together a curriculum for the um, K through 12 system, and um, it's called Tipping Point. Oh, that's a good name. And that's the name of the curriculum. Um, it's not done yet, um, but we plan on hitting the K through 12 system because, um, and, and the name of it, in particular, is called this because. 
we believe that we are at a tipping point in society with this. And uh, what what it is, is it instructs kids the whole thing about the Internet, how to use it, you know, and, and gets into the human trafficking and what to look for and why not to become involved in that. Because not, not only that, even if you're a, a willing participant who, want, who, who does a sex act, you have a whole host of other things, like you can catch venereal disease and, and um, whatnot, you know, and it wrecks relationships. So um, there's a whole host of things that goes on. Well, it's just, um, it, it, it's just basically a very traumatic experience for these young, uh, young girls and young men that, that are submitting themselves to so many individuals, I mean, you have you have uh, you have uh, venereal diseases, STDs, and and and, and they also are going to suffer from PTSD. I mean, PTSD or post traumatic uh, disorder because of of this whole delusional, not delusional, but uh, dysfunctional settings. They came from a dysfunctional environment going to another dysfunctional environment and these individuals are basically uh they need help and there's not enough support so basically what, you, what your organization is doing it's fantastic and creating those 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 booklets and and that information that, that tool will be very beneficial yes and um ruben uh, i believe we have our guest on the line um Hold on one second. John, is that you? It is. Doreen, Ruben, how are you? Jonathan, welcome back. Uh-huh. Thanks for having me back. It's great. Uh, uh, repeat, and, repeat performance here. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And folks, we're going to switch our subject again. Um, we just had to bring the update on what the group is doing. Uh, and tonight we are going to be talking about some issues about the, the presidential race, um, particularly ones that we missed. It's actually a continuation from last week's episode, which we were talking about this. And um, John, I want to go first because I want to ask you this question. I know I know I got some feedback from um, Ted Cruz. Yep. Okay. Uh, what is his uh, his chances of, of taking the nomination? Uh, you know, I I think they're they're pretty good, and I think you you looked at if you look at the um, if you look at the results from the the uh, the debates, um, you know, the, the, certainly uh, Trump stayed high, and you saw um, some folks uh, surge a little bit. One of the people that surged and surged at one point into second place or third place from being sort of um, you know, fairly low on the thing, uh, on the on the rankings, was Ted Cruz. And I think his message really, really resonates, his, it, the entirety of his message and the entirety of his his platform, his personal platform, resonates really well with the base. So you, you have those, you know, you have those folks that would be um, uh, really the people in the trenches, the people that, that are out there volunteering, the people, the grassroots that are sending in their, their $10 donation um, group. And so I think um, um, uh, you saw that bump in, in the uh, in the debate. 
Yes. And uh, if he were to win the nomination, see, because I'm getting it from two sides. Um, the establishment Republicans uh, have had issues with him. And they've said, oh, well, because he held up the uh, um, vote uh, about a year ago, uh, held up the Congress one time. And um, so they think he's too far to the right. Uh, yeah, so ab- absolutely he- true. Uh, there's, I guess there's a difference between, and I, I tried to set that out, there's a difference between um, the party regulars who are, you know, your grassroots party regulars, um, those folks that, that give the volunteer hours, those folks that, that give the grassroots donations, party establishment. Which is which is wholeheartedly behind uh, Bush. There's no question about that. So you know those are the folks that are that are in in media circles. Those are the folks that like Karl Rove that that um, control large large donors. Um, you know I I wouldn't go as far as saying that the Sheldon Adelsons of the world, who is a a very large donor, um, or the Koch brothers are are behind um, Jeb Bush as of right now, but but a lot of that inside the Beltway establishment lobbyist folks, um, that certainly the ones that had ties to 43's White House are behind him. So big difference between establishment Republicans, uh, maybe those that are on the RNC, and grassroots Republicans, who are the ones that are out there working in your right to life groups, working in, um, you, you name it, family values groups, um, uh, working on those single issue groups. Those those folks that are single issue voters and single issue supporters uh, that traditionally have supported the, the Republican Party, um, guns, babies, um, uh, gay marriage issues, um, research, those folks are going to uh, really kind of connect with with the Cruz message, um, not necessarily uh, with the Bush message. All right, all right. Well, I, I'll tell you, um, I, I definitely agree with um, the the analysis of Ted Cruz in regards to the donors, the Shelton Adelsons of you know of the world. Uh, I know he was, you know, he's, he's a big donor and, and, and the Cock brothers also. But I, I have to tell you that, that Ted Cruz um, raised over $14, 15000000 million already. And, and he has a key, key individual that is going to help him a lot. And that's uh, his wife. Um, you know, she's a big Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs. It, and a lot of the Wall Street people, even though you may be surprised, a lot of them are behind Ted Cruz and the money that he's getting. Uh, there's a couple of Texas billionaires here in, in, in the state of Texas that are behind and providing a lot of money to, to um, Ted Cruz. I mean, I mean, Governor Christie also, you know, he, he, he also has a lot of donors. I, 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 I look at it this way. The... the the Go- Governor Christie and, and Ted Cruz, uh, I think they'll surprise. Everyone is pointing to Jeff Bush because he has the, the Bush name and, and, and a lot of the donors. But I think Governor Christie and Ted Cruz w- will surprise a lot of people with 
the donor. I don't. I don't disagree with you, Ruben. I, if I were gonna, if I were gonna run a presidential campaign, um, I'd certainly rather be a hometown boy in Texas than be a hometown boy in Rhode Island. Shout out to Lincoln Chafee on that one. Um, you just, you, you know, you've got that that kind of wide base. You've got some money there. Um, Cruz is certainly a favorite in Texas. Um, go back to the grassroots. Uh, folks versus the establishment folks and that juxtaposition. And you'll look at, um, so we go back to Trump and Trump has this, this momentum that's caused by sort of grassroots folks and, and outside the box thinkers and people that, that um, aren't, you know, necessarily, they're, they're angry. And they're some, in some ways they're angry at Washington. In some ways they're angry at the Republican party. Um, mm-hmm. Cruz can capture, Cruz can capture that market. At, at the, when when Trump goes to de, into decline at some point, Cruz can capture that market because he's called out Mitch McConnell on the floor of the U.S. Senate. You know, there, there's he's got bona fides for being um, a, a bit of a rabble rouser within a Republican Party that a lot of Republican voters are not happy with. The whole Tea Party kind of um, happy with. So, you know, he's set up to 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 really make some gains. You've got some, you've got some interesting things coming up in the next few months. Uh, there's going to be a, a serious shift, I think, in, in what's going on presidentially. Um, one thing that, that's happened here is you, you've got the economic issues, the, the, the stock market and, and what's mm-hmm. happened there. Um, yeah. I, so there, I, I want, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that. Serene, if I may, uh, yeah. In, in regards to the economic picture, uh, because you know we've been we've been told for the past couple of years, you know we're in a recovery. Well, it's funny that the recovery, uh, re- the retail industry, the numbers are down. There's more uh, uh, sufficient numbers of, of malls that are are, are closing down. Also, mm-hmm. the interest rates are down to zero, close to zero percent. I mean, the Fed is planning to raise interest rates hopefully next month because they believe that the economy is doing well. They're not positively sure that that's going to happen. Uh, so the whole China situation with the currency, you know, that's, that's overinflated economy over there is about to, to, to explode, and that's going to have a ripple effect on the, on the rest of the world. So I think the, 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 what I wanted to get across is that any candidate – and I said it last week, is going to inherit $19 trillion debt to begin with. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think, I think that the, the, when it comes down to the candidates, the Republican candidates, I think the person, there's two individuals that I think have a clear understanding, and, and, and I think one of them is basically um, uh, Ted, Ted Cruz, and the other one, and you may not believe this because – the situation with the economy in New Jersey, but Governor Christie understands mm-hmm. it also. Uh, so I, I just wanted to throw that out there. I I, I agree with you, Ruben. I you know I, I do think uh, Christie has an understanding of that, and I think Cruz has an understanding of that. Um, uh, yeah, you know this economic. First off, I've got to say, I am absolutely floored that the economy hasn't been one of the central issues yet in 
any of the presidential talks. I mean, we've been, you know, we've been talking about um, uh, immigration and 13th Amendment and this and that, you name it. And we, we, you know, whatever, wherever we've kind of set the, 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 the focus. But in a year when I am predicting be wrong, but I'm predicting that the number of uh, that will arise that will, will be on top of everybody's chart uh, towards the end of this election is the economy. We haven't really touched mm-hmm. on it yet. Um, so things like this force us to touch on the economy. And I think that people are going to have to have their, these, these candidates are going to have to have well-developed economic plans coming out of, um, coming out of particular out of last, last week and the, and the crash and, and, and all of that. Um, you're also right, um, for sure on the fact that this recovery in a lot of ways, in my humble opinion, I'm not an economist, um, but we talked about. I am a fan of Milton Friedman. Uh, <laughs> garden in last night or whatever. Um, the um, so uh, you know I think it's a false recovery and that you see unemployment is is better and that's true, but that's partially better because a huge number of people have dropped off the rolls. I think people don't understand that they. The government bases unemployment numbers on the number of people on an unemployment roll. So if after a year you are no longer eligible for benefits, you drop off that roll whether you have a job or not. Secondarily, if you get a job, if you are, if you are a, uh, you know, the vice president of, um, of a manufacturing company that goes out of business, you're the vice president of operations of at a manufacturing company and you go out of business and, and in order to feed your family um, and put gas in your car, you have to take a job washing floors at the local university, making literally one tenth or one sixteenth of what you made before you're still counted as unemployed. And I think there's a huge underemployment issue that affects the economy going out in in an enormous ripple effect. So this this economic recovery really is not that at all. It, it's a false economic recovery. You can point to unemployment numbers; Th- those are padded. Those are those are false. Those have a false bottom on them, as it were. So, you know, we, we've we've got to get the economy going again. That should be number one. I I find I was talking to somebody today. Ironic, you know. Maybe now's the time. As as much as I found boring um, and disaffected. Maybe now is the time for Mitt Romney. You know, maybe this would have been his time to shine because he does have a handle on economic issues. I, I, I don't know, but um, uh, I was never a huge so, Mitt Romney fan. But right, but so, but in the political field right now, who is the best to turn this economy around? I, you know, I, I like Ruben's suggestions on Cruz and and um, and Christie. I would throw um, I would throw uh, Kasich in uh, with that that group just because I look at governors and think you know governors seem to have a handle on um, that in a microcosm they've had to had to keep their states going through this or 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 re-energize their states um, through this economic letdown. So I, you know, I tend to favor governors sort of as being the, the guys that understand that a little bit better. There's not an economist in here. Uh, there's not, um, Kasich has, has worked for, for financial services firms. Um, uh, 
but there's not there's not a pure economist in here and and somebody that that understands that so um sort of a toss up there's the, there's not even really an economic in this group um with the you know with the I, I do like I, I have to agree with Ruben on on Christie. I think you know he's got a good shot when that when that all comes up. Uh, let's also go to uh, all right. Go ahead, Ruben. One one of the one of the points that one of the points that uh, a lot of a lot of individuals haven't mentioned even in 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 the mainstream, and I, I'm I'm not surprised why they're not mentioning that. Initially, initially, when the oil prices went down, well, one of the first things that uh, the NBC pundits and, and some of the CNN pundits were saying were, well, now the middle class is going to have more money to spend. Well, mm. oil prices have continued to go down, and the economy is not picking up. The, the, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, basically hasn't really shown any drastic improvement. Uh, uh, I mean, the, 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 the other indexes also have not really generated uh, the growth. GDP growth is under 2%. Uh, so it's basically that whole assumption that the, uh, the oil prices was going to have a boom on the economy has been totally uh, not true. Uh, yeah, you know, anytime, anytime it's it's kind of um, economics 101, right? I mean, any anytime prices drop in an industry, that's going to affect the industry. So you have, you know, you have boom jobs in in the oil industry, and and boom, those those are gone at that point. You know, there's and anything affected by the oil industry, and you would theoretically think that the you know cost of cost of oil went up, so therefore the ca- cost of gasoline went up. So therefore, the cost of moving trucks around the country went up. So therefore, the cost of beef and everything else went up because you're moving grains for the cattle and cattle and, and beef and this and that. Yeah, that's great. But the reality of it is that that all those costs are are already up and nobody's and because now they have to keep, you know, a workforce in place and everything else. So there's 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 pressure. There's a single price change doesn't necessarily affect the economy all that much because you've got this upward pressure, this downward pressure, and how many people were already out of work and couldn't really afford gas to begin with. So really that doesn't, you know, that downward price doesn't affect them because they haven't been paying anything. Um, you know, they haven't been able to pay any of their bills. Um, so it just gets diverted to other things that are already you know where the prices have gone high. It's um, somebody's got to get a handle on the administration. Much as this administration would like to uh, um, tout that, and I, I think it's going to get interesting because um, I, as I sort of predicted when I was here, you're seeing now the Obama administration is is really propping up Vice President Biden, and um, I think you see Biden get in, and I think when you see the Vice President get in. Um, all of a sudden, that the, this administration's actual um, gains or losses, their actual record on the economy, comes into play and becomes fair game. And so, if if people can sort of lay that bare with Biden, that's great. I'm not sure that Trump is the guy that's able to do that. I think now you go back to a Christie, you go back to a Kasich, 
uh, you go back to a cruise or somebody like that who has a command <laughs> of that, that issue. Right. So, John, do you think that the polls will, um, the tide will turn against Trump? I, I do. Not I, turn, I think, but they so, will drop. Yeah, I think his numbers are going to drop. See, what's going to happen is so you've got three things coming up, right? You've got you've got the the economic issue that we just talked about. Second thing mm-hmm. you've got in in September, Congress goes back in on, on August and uh, September first. So you've also got in early September you've got the Pope visiting Cuba and then coming to the United States into a heavily Catholic country where Catholicism issues really do um, sort of affect um, certainly presidential primary politics. Um, And then the third thing that you've got is once Congress goes back into session, you're going to have hearings on uh, the Iran um, treaty. And so then you, so now you're looking at, you're looking at the, at the economic, the macroeconomic issue. Um, You're looking at, more microeconomic issues because this and and social issues because this pope has chosen to be a pretty pretty activist dude um and is is very much into economic inequality and you've got Bernie Sanders on the other side and how much does that economic inequality issue come into the debate and how much is he going to make political speeches when he's here in the states um and put pressure on the our political system to deal with economic inequality issues and then the third thing that you've got is this foreign policy issue that comes in. Uh, so now guys like Cruz sort of, you know, come back to the top and Rubio come back to. And the senators seem to have more of an upper hand in that foreign policy debate. Um, so you've got these these three big, big um, point issues that are coming up. And that's going to that's going to make the debate more serious. That's going to make the general debate more serious and put pressure on candidates to have a real command of the issues. While while Donald Trump has the fire and all of that, I think when it comes time to go head to head with Ted Cruz on on the details of uh, the Iraq um, treaty, I think Donald Trump loses and loses in spades. When it comes time to go head to head on economic issues, um and on on income equality i mean you're already seeing uh Rand Paul hit him on eminent domain eminent domain's kind of sexy for those of us um for those of us who uh are into this stuff but it's not really all that sexy for people who um you know the right. general it's public not, it's not they don't big, get that yeah 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 um, John, there are callers on the line, and um, if you'd okay. like to ask a question, please go ahead and do so. Um, and remember uh, to press 1 if you want to ask a question. Um, caller 614, would you like to ask? Okay. Uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, John. I know I cut you off. Uh, yeah, no problem. I um. I'd love to take calls if people want to call in. Um, um, yeah. So, so at any rate, so you know, I, I think that's why you see Trump's sort of um, the luster on Trump sort of sort of fade at some point. And it's it's happened before. I love the idea of outsiders 
But the reality of it is that when you get into detailed policy debate, policy wonks are the ones that love that. And, um, you know, I'm not so sure that, that Donald Trump is a policy wonk as much as he's a, a rabble rouser and he's, he's good at it and we love him for that. But, um, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if that plays out long-term. I don't know if that gives him long-term credibility with, um, with voters. I want to, I want to, um, interject in regards to the situation with, uh, Hillary, uh, Joe Biden and, and the Obama administration, as I indicated last week, I don't, I, I, I see a lot of pressure coming from the Obama administration towards, uh, Hillary. I don't see mm-hmm. her going I don't see her going to prison. I made a projection uh, this week, and I said that um, that she, be, she will be forced out, and she will not be the nominee by early next year. Um, and, and you're starting to see that that the White House is, is basically pushing for Joe Biden. Now, the key to this whole, you know, uh, predicting this is the is the 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 convincing convincing the donors. The George Soros of the world, the Pe- Penny Pritzkers of the world, the Peter, Peter Lewis from Progressive, and the Hollywood crowd to basically divert that money from Hillary to Joe Biden. I think that's going to be the key point for him to eventually get in. W- would that be uh, a, a pretty good analysis? Uh, very much so. Um, so here's the interesting factoid. Here's Here's your political wonk numbers of the day. Um, top 177 or, or 177 um, that that bundled money for the Obama-Biden um, uh, race of 177 people who bundled bundled money for Obama-Biden. There are only 51 who have gone on board with Clinton already. So only 51 of those 177, or you know, a little more than 20 percent, 25 percent, somewhere in there, a um, uh, little, little bit, just over 25 percent, have um, have committed to Clinton, the Clinton uh, presidential campaign. So that means that there are almost 75 percent, 70 percent, who are sitting out there on the wings, waiting for something different to happen. These are the major donors, the folks that you're talking about, the people that that bundle money. Um, And and that's an indicator. That's a huge indicator of um, now. Now, don't folks out there, if we have if we have some some liberals listening in and, and, um, you know, some staunch Democrats who like to listen into this this show to get angry um, at us. Don't worry, because Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton's going to find her money. There's no question. Um, mm-hmm. but, but just to your point, Ruben, yeah, I mean, you've got, tw- you know, a little over 25% of, of, of the big money guys and gals, um, that are traditionally democratic bundlers who are on board with Clinton. And there's another 75%, 70% that are waiting in the wings for something different to happen. They're not going to go, by the way, they, they don't go to Bernie. They're not Bernie Sanders folks. Bernie Sanders is going to get all of his money from from uh, grassroots um, and from non-traditional grassroots. He's going to see you're going to see the Democratic equivalent of the Ron Paul campaign with Bernie Sanders. Right. So you're going to right. see the majority of his money will come in in twenty dollars, twenty five, thirty, a hundred dollars max. Um, 
but those bundlers are, are waiting for something to happen. And it ain't Clinton and it ain't Bernie. So it'll be interesting pops up. If it do, goes down that way, Biden when he when he comes out to the onto the scene, when he pops out onto the scene the strong um kind of uh backing machine mechanism. Um you've already seen a couple of um Obama staffers who uh you know from from the twenty twelve race uh who had had been purposefully sort of uh waiting in the wings themselves and, and hadn't latched on with O'Malley or, or, or Sanders or, or Clinton. And um those folks uh will immediately gravitate towards uh um towards Biden. So Right. But John, let me ask you, um in the event that Ted Cruz does get the nomination um and succeeds to the presidency um, will he roll back Common Core? Um, um, I, I would expect that he hits hits on most of the um, Republican hot button issues. I, I, I think you see him um, start to. I think I think you see him on day one start to to really go after um, a lot of. President Obama's um, uh, executive orders. So I think you know you repeal a bunch of those. I think um, I think he, he he goes after Common Core. I think you see um, I think you see him go after um, uh, Obamacare. Um, and and I and I think my gut instinct and 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 I, I don't know this for sure because I'm. I'm not out there in the world as much as I, I used to be. I'm looking at things from a, a 35,000 foot level um, these days. I think we still have a Republican Congress um, coming out of this. So, you know, I think if we have a Republican president, I think we have a Republican Congress. And I think there's the ability to, to sort of um, really roll back some of what's happened. The question is, and it goes back to what I was saying before, the question is, what's the plan that replaces it? And that, that is going to be very key to every right. Republican race. But don't you think they should offer the plan of buying health insurance across state lines? I do. I absolutely do. Um, not, every, not every Republican candidate believes that. Um, uh, but, uh, and they've called, they've called Trump out on that a little bit. But... Um, uh, yeah, I do. I, I'm so, a fan. So you, I don't know so you mean we actually have we we actually have some Democrats in there who are acting like Republicans? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it happens. <laughs> it happens. Uh, it, right, 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 right. <laughs> I go I go back to I go back to John uh, Congressman out of Arizona named John Shattuck. I don't know if everybody remembers um, Congressman Shattuck. Okay. He started in. Geez, I don't know, 2000, 2002, um, uh, the, the, the interstate purchasing power on, um, on, on, uh, medical insurance was, was a John Shattuck bill. It was the Shattuck bill and it started in 2000 and he tried it every year. And, um, I, you know, I think it got shot down four or five times or something like that. And now of course, um, uh, John's out of, out of Congress, but, um, uh, 
you know that 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 bill's been around a long, long time, and it's a smart bill. It's, you, you you talk about um, you talk about mandates and the ability. You know, if you have a state like New Jersey, um, where they have something like 137 mandates or something like that on 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 a medical policy, on an insurance policy, versus and and the cost there is is ridiculously high. Um, and you go to Alabama or Oklahoma. Um, where Tom Coburn was was a huge influencer there. You go to Oklahoma, and you're paying one tenth the cost because you have uh, something like um, 32 mandates as opposed to, you know, the the hundred plus. Um, so it's it's pretty simple. And and of course, my thing is that the, the government has this great plan called the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program. Why can't I buy into that? Why they they get great they get they get to choose from 75 different policies and providers if you if you work for congress you get this like you know really cheap program this really cheap policy and you can choose from from over 75 different plans and providers why can't i get that why can't why can't i utilize the buying power of the government to buy across state lines as opposed to being forced into one program one size fits all that really fits no one why is that their plan for me? Yet their plan for themselves is to keep the FDHPT. Well, I can, I, I can answer that question, Jonathan, because we're not part of the elitists. Mm-hmm. We're not you're, the elitists. Right. So, yeah. So, but I, I wanted to. And the I wanted elitists to, don't mind paying that, you know. Yeah. They, they don't mind paying that. Well, the the other thing you have, I have a friend, and and I. I I um and he can do this. I, I I love that he does this. He's able to do it. Um, he owns an airplane and he he's an investment banker. But he had a heart issue, and instead of getting um his heart surgery here in the United States, um he flew to India and had his heart surgery there by a Harvard trained doctor and stayed in a hospital that looked very much like a, a Weston and um, paid a fraction of the cost to do that. He has the power to do that. Medical tourism is this, you know, it, folks that have a, a, a millions of dollars, those elitists that you're talking about, they can do whatever they want to do for their medical care. So well, even if the FEHBP gets taken away from the FEHBP is for the people that work for the, the elitists. They protect their own who don't have the money to, to get on a G5 and head to India to talk to a Harvard-trained surgeon. Well, I, I'll tell you something. When I, when I, when, when I meant uh, elitists, uh, I just meant the, the congressional people because uh, I'm, better, I'm, I'm very familiar with medical tourism because uh, – one of the best places for medical tourism and very inexpensive, and they do a great job. And there's a, a, a lot of expatriates over there. Is Costa Rica? Uh, mm-hmm, have, absolutely. You don't have to be rich, rich to to get. You can get a, your whole mouth done for less than twenty thousand dollars. Wow. And, and it, I I know personally someone who's just middle class who got it done. Mm-hmm. So, but I. I, I I was one of the things that I wanted to bring up before I forgot. I forget. Did, did, does anyone does anyone know or is aware that Mexico has a wall that stretches 
that protects Mexico from Guatemala. <laughs> you know, because we've mm-hmm. been hearing about we've been hearing about creating a wall, and you know, Trump is saying oh, we, we need we need uh, Mexico to pay for it. Mexico has a wall that protects them from Guatemala, from the people in Guatemala. I found that really unbelievable that, you know, we've been discussing it, and I did some research, and they do have a wall. Yeah. Yeah, the the penalties for illegal immigration into Mexico are ridiculous. I I mean, it's like, like, you know, 10 years in jail or something like that before deportation. And yet, here here it's a slap on the wrist. We fill your net knapsack your backpack with with extra water and and we drive you back across the the border or um, if, if you want to stay we'll give you free education you know uh which, whichever you want to take so yeah hold on i want to read this one comment from a fellow by the name of warren um he says that um uh he thinks that the republicans are very jealous and envious of trump because over 50% of we the people and the silent majority is on Trump's side. So he thinks a lot of the Republican rhinos uh, are are uh, against Trump. Yeah, yeah, you know, I do think, I, I, I think he's right um, in as much as um, there are people that are jealous of, of Trump. Um, and And there are people... You're, you're seeing, I mean, the whole, let's face it, I, I, I do believe that the whole Megyn Kelly thing and the Fox thing was really kind of a setup. And every time people think that they, they're going to take um, Donald Trump down, he he comes out on top with it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, my my analysis of him is not one that's, that's um, saying that, that he's going to fall because of lack of support or this and that. I guess my my sort of analysis of him is that I just don't think, I, I think that the arena is a tough place. And I think that you have to have um, an amazing capacity for understanding policy. And I think that sort of those three, those three events that are coming up or that, you know, the economy that has already happened. Um, I think those things are, are sort of crucibles. And, and my guess, I might be wrong. I would love to be wrong. Um, because I think Trump makes the race interesting. My guess is that Trump doesn't have the juice to come out of that as an economic policy wonk um, and, and really battle with the economic policy wants. And I think he's going to look, I think if he doesn't, then he looks bad sort of in comparison. And so that's, that's my only analysis on, on that is that, you know, I don't, He's got one staffer, one political staffer. That's really, really, really clutch as we don't want politicians anymore. That's awesome that he only has one political staffer. Um, As somebody who was a candidate, I will tell you that that makes things very, very hard. I remember going into a debate against Patrick Kennedy, and it was a setup. It was a, a Veterans Affairs debate. And they said that they sent us the questions first and that we were able to ask questions and they never sent me the question. The person that was running it was up for a huge government grant, federal grant coming from the, the Kennedy office. And he wanted to keep Patrick Kennedy very happy. Um, they didn't give me the questions. They waited till I walked in and they said, 
here's the questions. Oh, yeah, we must have forgotten to send them to you. Um, you, you should understand this all. It's Veterans Affairs issues. And I looked at it, and it was some very detailed, wonky Veterans Affairs questions. That's great, right? They, they, it almost looked like they had me on the ropes. Reality of it was, though, I had a Veterans Affairs advisor with me who knew the Veterans Affairs system inside and out. We went over to a cafe, had a bagel in the, in the half an hour, 45 minutes, and he briefed me on, on everything. And um, I went head to head with Kennedy. And I, even in, in my opening statement, I made a statement that Kennedy came back on about force mix. And Kennedy, I said basically that our force mix was, was very good in theater in, in, in the Middle East. And he came back and he said, our force mix is terrible. Um, and, and he excoriated me on it and he, he excoriated me for voting for Bush's war. And my immediate response when I got up again was first off, um, Congressman, I, I wasn't in Congress at the time I was running a group home program. So, and lobbying for them. So, um, nobody cared about my vote on Bush's war. I wasn't in Congress. You were. And secondly, let me tell you about force mix. And I, I, I lectured him on what force mix really means. Crowd loved it. Three questions and I beat him up. There were, there were supposed to be eight questions. I beat him up on three questions before the organizer said, all right, well, that's it. We have to move on. We're running late on time, so we're going to skip the last five questions. I beat him up, and it's all because I had an extra staffer. If, if, if Mr. Trump goes in thinking that he can't have somebody, that he doesn't have a policy wonk on each issue to feed him, and he's not good enough to pick up or quick enough to pick up what I or gal is teaching him in a half an hour, 45 minutes, he's going to be in trouble when it comes time to be a wonk. Does that make sense? I mean, long, long-winded story to say that that's kind of my take on Trump. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's true, because I, I ran for office in the state of New Jersey uh, against Donald Payne, uh, the late Donald Payne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thursday, mm-hmm. I ran against him, and I it was it was in, in the state it was in the city of Newark, and uh, it was five of us, and um, I didn't have I, di- I didn't have a policy individual or uh, a policy advisor with me, and it was tough. Uh, I, I mean, I prepped myself for a couple of days on issues that would affect the county that I was running. But mm-hmm. and I had to improvise. I mean, the acting mm-hmm. that I took, the acting that I took in grammar school and in high school <laughs> helped me. Mm-hmm. You know, but, mm-hmm. but but you're right. I mean, and I and I think he got a hundred thousand votes. I got sixty thousand votes in a democratic control uh, county. Wow! So, uh, wow! Awesome. Yeah, it, it, it was it was it was. Um, as a matter of fact, it was very challenging. But I, I can understand if I would have had a, a, a policy advisor, I would have done a lot better. Yeah, it's just something. And, and when you get into presidential politics, it's not just even a general policy advisor. You need somebody on each of those issues because you're going to get whacked. You know, I used to sit, sit with policy folks. I had a I had a policy advisee board. And so, you know, I had I had an ex-Navy intel captain that helped me out with, with military issues. And, and I had... Um, 
you know, I, I, just, I had a number of people that were, were just sort of, you know, I had a, I had a, a teacher, um, a member of the teachers union, public school teacher who, um, helped me out on education issues. And, and I, I can't be expected as a, you know, as a, as a candidate, whether you're running for Congress, for president, for county commissioner, for, for, for dog catcher in your town, you can't be expected to have a command of all the issues. And I think that, that, you know, Trump's trying to run lean. I get that. I understand that. He's trying to stay away from the, 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 the sort of um, micro pieces in, in these issues. But as these things come up, as things like, like the Pope's visit and, and, and the economic, um, you know, the, the Wall Street collapse and, and, and the debate on, on the Iraq uh, treaty come up, that's going to demand more and more detail. So he either he either adapts or he doesn't. My belief is that he he probably won't. Um, but I'd love to see him adapt. Uh, I think he makes things more interesting. Um, and John, hold on a second. Uh, again, folks, I notice we have a lot of people listening. Um, if you'd like to ask a question, um, please uh, go ahead and, and do so. Um, and the call-in numbers is. Six four six nine one five eight one one seven. That's six four six nine one five eight one one seven. And callers again, if you'd like to ask a question, please go ahead and do so. Um, okay, how about caller nine one seven? Okay. Um, no. So uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, we always get a lot of listeners, but folks, um, <laughs> you know, you can jump in and, and ask. Nobody's going to bite you. Um, I, I I love callers, and and if you if you want to challenge me on something, feel free. I, I I love learning from doing these things too, and and getting you know, hearing other people's point of view. I'm I'm not um, I'm not out there. Um, I, I mean, I'm not a candidate anymore, so I'm not out there shaking hands and kissing babies. I'm just uh, like I said, sitting <laughs> at, at thirty thousand feet and. And um, at least avoiding the hot dog dinners and the pasta dinners and things like that. So <laughs> the, the pasta dinners are the best. <laughs> you know, they they, they are, are, but I, you know, it's, it, it's funny. My I have a picture on my wall with um, uh, with with forty three and and Mrs. Bush, and um, uh, one of my lacrosse players came in and and looked at it, and I guess it was taken in. I guess it was taken in 2000, been um, 2006, I guess, or something like that, and uh, 2007 maybe. Yeah, it was just as 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 the Bushes were leaving the White House. Um, yeah, 2007, I guess. And um, uh, one of my lacrosse players walked in. It's on the the wall in my office. And one of my lacrosse players looked walked in and went, "Wow, Coach, you were pretty fat back then." <laughs> And I kind of said, well, yeah, there are a lot of pasta dinners and hot dogs and, and, and steak and this and that. So I, um, you know, I, I tried to get back in the gym and, and stay away from, from uh, as, as one candidate used to tell me, um, um, uh, kissing hot dogs and eating babies. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, John, um, we have to go to another segment. Uh, and you know it was great having you on, and um, you can come awesome. on anytime. Awesome being with you. Yeah, I, I love I love coming on and 
whatever you want me, give me, give me a call. Well, I think it's going to get more interesting here as things roll on and, and, um, certainly will be an interesting, uh, presidential silly season started earlier than it ever has before. Hasn't it? Yes. Jonathan, Jonathan, it's always a pleasure. And, uh, I have to tell you, I love lacrosse. My son played lacrosse for two years and it's, uh, it's a great game. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I've been doing it since I was eight years old and, um, still doing it now. Just, just celebrated my 30th year in coaching. So, um, great sport, love doing it, get around the country, get, it's my, my time away from, from politics and the pressure of, uh, the pressure of the office. So great sport. Thanks, I'm, glad, I'm glad you and your family enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. yes. Yes. And it's great to have you, John. Um, good. And folks, Yes. Okay. Oops. Uh, give us about Thank two you, minutes. Thank you, Dorian. Thank you, Ruben. Talk to you. Yep. All right. Um, in about two minute break, and um, we're going to be coming back with Chauncey Brown, the Honorable Chauncey Brown, um, of uh, Patterson, New Jersey, uh, and we're going to be discussing, of course, the politics of New Jersey, and uh, a whole lot more. So, two minute break. Be listening to the Blue Danube. Um, folks, welcome back. Uh, I don't know if you heard the song there. Ruben, did you hear it? Yes, I did. Oh, you did. Okay. Well, I, I didn't hear it on, on my end. It, sometimes we have technical issues. Um, but anyhow, um, we're going to be going a little bit to politics of New Jersey. And one no. of the things that New Jerseyans have to face is the highest property taxes in the nation. And um, we had thought that that would be straightened out with Governor Christie. Um, and I know, uh, Ruben, I don't know what you were paying in taxes, but we're paying close to 12000 in taxes. And and um, we have, what, about a 1,500-square-foot home. Right. Um, so 
uh, and it, the according to the research, it's Bergen, Versace, um, and Essex have some of the highest taxes and the highest in the nation. And Ruben might want to tell us that, that might be the re- reason why you moved. Well, uh, that was one of the reasons. Uh, I think the um, the whole situation. I mean, Governor Christie tried to. He was trying to do the the best that he can possibly do with a uh, uh, democratic control assembly and a Senate. So uh, I believe that property taxes was one of the uh, reasons, but also quality of life uh, in, in New Jersey started to go down, not just because of, uh, uh, I mean, everyone has, has been very critical of Governor Christie, but I think the overall the uh, the number of, um, how would I phrase I think it was the 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 towns that that we at one point we considered to be towns that would bring quality of of life away from from the urban areas. You started to see a decline, and that's when I I decided uh, we decided as a family that it was time to move. I still love New Jersey. I'm 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 going back soon. Uh, uh, and I uh, will always love New Jersey. I mean, but I think the property taxes, the quality of life, and also the uh, the fact that um, the the number of illegals also was something that it bothered me quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, we 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 were becoming. I mean, some some. I think we have about eight town, eight cities, or I mean, eight towns in New Jersey that are sanctuary cities. Uh, and that 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 was a turnoff. I hope I, I, and I hope paying, I we're paying for them too. Exactly. Um, you know, and uh, uh, the the issue with the property tax, um, especially being so high, uh, you have to remember that we have to pay for the the pension funds. Um, and that's what seems to be bankrupting the system here. And, right. you know, uh, and, but if you go outside uh, into Pennsylvania, for example, like on my, on my house, okay, um, we're paying up to 12000 But if you go across the border to Pennsylvania, a same size house, you're only paying about 4000 you know. And so multiply the savings by, let's say, 10 years, you know, it can total up to to about 60,000, 70,000, you know, and that money sure that comes in handy, you know. And that's why the people um, are considering moving. Right. You know, and, 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 um, and we're paying for our school systems here as well. Yeah, and, so, and, and, and individuals like like yourself and your your husband, a family, uh, so many families that are working very hard uh, and 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 spending so much money, uh, basically providing uh, uh, subsidies to other towns like uh, like Newark and 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 Camden towns that that basically get a lot of the money coming from the sub- suburbs that we used to pay when we lived in the suburbs in New Jersey, 
uh, and the school systems and, and the whole city, they're not doing well. And and we and every everyone in New Jersey that has a middle class lifestyle or upper middle class is paying for that. Okay, what he's talking about, folks, is um, the Abbott Law. Okay, um, right. and. Um, Basically, uh, what that is, is um, it, it came about in 1983, okay, and it's a, uh, I mean, it's, you can look this up, okay. Um, there's Abbott districts in New Jersey, and these Abbott districts are supposed to be some of the uh, poorest districts in New Jersey. And New Jersey is the only one with Abbott Law, by the way. Um, so, uh, and what it was is the school districts in New Jersey pro- that are provided remedies to ensure that their students receive public education in accordance with the state constitution. These Abbott Laws were created in 1985 as a result of the first ruling of Abbott versus Burke in a case filed by the Education Law Center, folks, which is a law center of North New Jersey. The ruling asserted that the public primary and secondary education in poor communities throughout the state was unconstitutionally substandard. So the Abbott second ruling, which came about in 1990, had the most far-reaching effects, ordering the state to fund then 28 Abbott districts at the average level of the state's wealthiest districts. So, the, in other words, these suburbs are, are being hosed to pay for these systems. Um, and, folks, I want to tell you Blog Talk Radio is experiencing an issue, uh, an issue with the host and guest lines. Um, so, uh, and, and their engineers are working on to resolve it. And um, so we will currently be awaiting our guest in the meantime. Um, and so you can you can listen to the radio show at studentsforbetterfuture.com backslash radio backslash at studentsforbetterfuture.com backslash radio backslash. But uh, Doreen, 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 yes. uh, our guest is on the line, is on the air. Okay. Um, Okay, let's welcome to our guest to on the air, um, Chauncey Brown the third, I believe, the Honorable. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, I just got. No, I just okay. got. A, I just got a text that he's on the on the air. Okay, he's probably trying to call in because his number's not showing up. Um. So. Uh, Hang on a second. Okay. um, So, okay, let's go back to to the Abbott Law, which Ruben was um, talking about. Currently, there's 31 Abbott districts right now in the state, and they're referred to as SBA districts, based on the requirement for the state to cover all the costs for the school building and renovation projects. And it's under the supervision of the New Jersey Schools Developmental Authority. Um, so, um, 
in my opinion, folks, this Abbott law was a form of redistribution of wealth um, and to provide funding to these districts. And, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of us do want to give money to them, um, but right now we there's not enough of it to go around. And we're giving so much money to it that, you know, people like myself and whoever, we can barely afford our houses. Um, Ruben, are you there? Yeah, I think we, uh, he, he, for some reason, he's he, he's calling, he's on the air, he's, he's calling you, uh, but he, he, he can't hear, we can't hear him. So can we call him? Um, yes, okay. Uh, okay, uh, I, I will try to get a hold of our guest right now. Um, okay. I'll, 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 I'll say, let me... Uh, let me um And Ruben his me, number is Yeah, his number is let me just uh I apologize uh for This is not uh, this is not Ruben's fault or I fault. It is a fault of Blog Talk Radio and it says they currently experience an issue with the host and guest line. And the engineers are working to resolve the problem. Um okay. is it area code nine one seven, Ruben? It's uh I'll tell you right now. Um, let me see here. It's 917-940-5016. Okay. Uh, we will try to get a hold of our host. Okay. Um, so, uh, Ruben, what's your opinion of the, the Abbott Law in New Jersey? Because I believe that this law is the one that really pushes the property taxes over the limit. Oh, of course, it is, without a doubt. Uh, the Abbott laws were implemented basically to provide uh, help and support to low-income areas in the state of New Jersey. But that, that has put the burden on the uh, the middle classes, the, the individuals who live in the, in the, in the suburban areas in, in New Jersey. And, and I can see if that was being successful, that transfer – Redistribution of wealth from from the suburbs to the to the urban areas, but that has not been the case. As shown that in Newark, they're spending twenty thousand dollars per student, and the results have not been favorable. Uh, so Essex County, which was the county that I we lived, uh, Newark and uh, Irvington. Those areas, they used to get a lot of money, but the students were dropping out, high crime, high drugs. Uh, so the Abbott, Abbott uh, system that has been implemented in New Jersey has been a failure. It has not worked. And I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the, the unions that have been very supportive of the Democratic Party in the state of New Jersey. Hello? I believe that we're having some issues and um, tonight uh, we'll try and see how we can uh, improve uh, and work with our engineers on, on, on these issues. So please be patient 
and uh, we'll try and get these uh, issues resolved. Hello? Hi, Ruben. Yes. Okay. Um, apparently, a blog talk is having issues right now. So. Chauncey just call, it's calling back in. Yes, we're trying to pick up this call. Again, I do apologize. Um, uh, okay. Hi, Chauncey. Can you hear us now? Uh, Chauncey, you're on the line. Can you hear us now? Um, okay. Hold on, I will try to connect him via the phone. Hold on. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay, Chauncey is on the line right now. Welcome Hello, to the Ruben. show. Thank you so much. Um, been... Okay, I do apologize to everybody. This is Blog Talk Radio is coming across my screen. They're saying they're having technical difficulties. Um, you know, it's just something we can't control. Uh, so, but Chauncey is on the line right now, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've been listening into the conversation and talking about the Abbott funding. Uh, I served two terms on the school district, uh, and I was a candidate for the state legislature. The Abbott funding has been a tool of money that has been mismanaged by urban centers. Suburban communities have been funding education without accountability, and that's been the biggest challenge uh, for us as conservatives and Republicans, that of the mismanagement of funds in the city's level. Um, in addition to talking about the property taxes, uh, I believe that we are like $85 uh, billion in debt as of February uh, as a result of, um, of the property taxes as well. But the Abbott funding has been a challenge uh, because by law we're required to fund urban education, okay? But what happens is that money is not getting to the classroom. And that's been the challenge. I mean, in Patterson, you're paying about, or Newark and Jersey City, between 15000 and 16000 per pupil. But most of that money is being absorbed in administrative cost. And suburban communities that are funding urban education are upset because if they're not delivering the service of, of, of the money that they're investing. Oh, okay. I mean, I will tell you, a lot of us don't mind giving money 